The mission of this podcast is to use our voices coupled with the appropriate knowledge to create a more informed activist, which can then use their voice to create a better present and future for all black Americans. Join us in our journey to change a part of our world that we know needs changing. Because at the end of the day, the conversations about human rights are the ones that need to be had. And they're usually the toughest talks. And I'm Zach Billings. And this is Tough Talks. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the episode of Tough Talks. Uh, this is going to be episode four. We're talking about segregation. Already, man? Yeah, already, man. We actually had a different episode planned. We recorded <laughs> the entire thing, had a week of kind of talking so you're about gonna, it. you're just going to go ahead and expose us? Is that I, I think going? we had to expose because, us. Because, listen, they wouldn't have known if we didn't tell them. All right, well, listen, me and Adam recorded a two-hour talk Let's about not even politics. Tell them that okay, he told you. And we okay. talked about presidential candidates and uh, their different agendas, especially uh-huh. their black agenda. And it kind of got a little long-winded, and I think because it was our first time really dipping our right. toes into politics, right. it was kind of all over the place. So we decided to scrap that. We're going to visit it again a couple yeah, weeks ago, yeah. see if we can make it a little bit better. I'm not going to lie. It just it, We lost our focus. We had I so agree. much information. So much information. So much, and we just kind of lost our focus with it. Yeah. And, you know, we don't want to just talk about something just to talk about it. We want to talk because we know what we're talking about. And we want to articulate in a way that people can understand us, right? Mm-hmm. And be able to translate what we're saying in the way that it needs to be translated. Oh, yeah. So, you know, we, we admit it. We just met. We, we Oopsie. You know what I'm saying? So we're, we're calling an audible. We're talking right. about segregation and especially modern segregation, how it's right. still a thing in our day-to-day life in the USA. Right. It's not any less important, especially when it's an issue that plagues black communities all over the U.S., just like politics affects black communities. Mm-hmm. But this, I would say it's more on a on a local level yep we we can still walk into a community and see this right now absolutely you know we're not always in washington we can't always see the decisions being made on the behalf of black people but we can go into black communities and see the segregation that still exists see the discrepancies right that brown versus board of education was supposed to you know mitigate but those issues are still around and that's why we feel like we need to really have a a tough talk about this. Yeah. Once you say that, absolutely, I would agree too. I think it's a good call to uh, transition to something like this. I think we can handle a little bit better than politics and presidential candidates. And hopefully, we'll talk about that a little bit at right. the end, kind right. of just kind of show them where our heads are at. Right. But uh, if you want to get us started, I know you got a little something, something um, from Malcolm X, and maybe we can kind of break down and talk about. Right. So, I know you've heard of a man named Malcolm X. I don't know if y'all have heard of him, but one of his most powerful speeches to me that really talk to a lot of solutions that need to happen um, among the black community. He talks about several solutions. He, he lays out the problem clearly, right? The problem is not just white supremacy and the white savior complex. It's a combination of black people, you know, keeping ourselves in these shackles of a mindset that keep us in this position, right? So he kind of highlights this in his speech, right? So I picked out probably the most powerful verses to me, Mm -hmm. right? I wanted to keep it a little because, you know, at the time he was in the nation of Islam. So he had a lot of stuff about the prophet Elijah Muhammad, Mm -hmm. right? The um, honorable. He says the honorable Elijah Muhammad a lot. And it was a lot, lot, you know, religiously charged statements. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to keep those out there as much, even though they're probably equally important to the speech. But I have a few um, I have a few passages I would like to to read out and, and break down. 
where I saw first, all right? Because we are forced to live in the poorest sections of the city, and by we, I mean black people, we attend inferior schools, we have, an inferior we have inferior teachers, and we get inferior education. The white power structure downtown makes certain that by the time our people do graduate, we won't be equipped or qualified for anything but the dirtiest, heaviest, poorest paying jobs, jobs that no one else wants, right? So when I think of that passage, and when I think about what he's trying to get across, it's fairly certain, right? We don't put, any, we don't put ourselves in these inferior schools. We don't put ourselves in these inferior jobs. These are jobs that we're left with because we have been forced with you know bad resources and not good enough teachers that can't uplift us out of situations like this. Our problem is not it's not as black and white as everyone thinks. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think that when a black person doesn't succeed, it's because of his or her own choices. But when you go to a school that lacks the resources, the funding, the and not and not when I say resources, I don't just mean like money, computers, technology. I also mean human resources. Mm -hmm. You know, your counselors, your teachers, your principals. Those Even the pillars. classes that are provided right. in terms of APs right. and things like that. A lot of people don't realize the profound effect that having a role model, right, can keep you out of trouble. Because a lot of a lot of children don't have, you know, when you when you're growing up, you're still looking for guidance, to, you know, to find the type of person you are, right. And if you can't find that in your own school, you're gonna find that elsewhere, which could lead to a life of a life of crime, a life of heavy drug use and drug abuse, which eventually could lead to overdose and a plethora of other problems. Right. We don't put ourselves in this situation. Right. When he said the white power structure downtown makes certain that by the time our people do graduate, we won't be equipped or qualified for anything but the dirtiest heavy jobs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Right. That means that because our education is not on par with that of a community in the white suburbia, we're not equipped to handle like third or fourth or fifth sector jobs. We are stuck in these communities where our education can only get us so far, right? Now, I will admit, if you go to a school in a white suburban community, right, like say Northview mm -hmm. or Duluth, mm -hmm. and not, excuse me, not Duluth, or maybe like a North Gwinnett or a Johns Creek, y'all test very high, don't you? Mm -hmm. Well, I know for, for Northview, who's predominantly Asian and white, right. uh, I think they're probably, I think it's 15 years in a row have the highest SAT scores in the for public schools in the state right in the state right so the, obviously there's an emphasis on providing the best resources so you can have the best education mm -hmm. black communities can't match that because first of all they don't have the population that brings in those resources right if you're in a financially bad situation you're in no position to provide resources for your children to be able to um, academically be successful it's impossible you're struggling to I don't want to generalize your the main focus supporting your children it's hard to do that and support them academically in the way they need to be right when you're in a white community that's like that's basic standard stuff to serve all the needs that your child has academically so if that means going out and buying them a, the best laptop right to be able to do their homework and study and make better grades they're going to do that in a low-income community that's significantly harder Mm -hmm. When you don't have the financial resources to be able to go out whenever you want to and buy the technology you need to be successful, right? And it also, um, I know at Northview, why they're so successful is because of mm -hmm. the staff. Mm. Schools like that and areas like that, 
makes teachers want to go there, you know? Right. And so like, that's a whole different thing. And so because of the teachers who are there, we can, they can offer a certain level of APs. And so like at Northview, like if you didn't have a few APs on, on your mm-hmm. schedule, you were like below, right? you know, like that, the, the normal the standard, the, yeah, the normal was having a couple APs. Right. There were some people I know who had a full class, like a full mm-hmm. schedule of APs mm-hmm. every year. Mm-hmm. And it's colleges crazy. and colleges look at those APs and be like, wow, that's a qualified, you know, student that I want in my college. Right. Right. You can't argue with seeing that stamp of A and P on there because, you know, colleges invest so much in being able to test students, you know, to make sure they're ready for college. Right. And you make those good scores on those AP tests. You know, that's a guaranteed ticket in some somebody's college. Right. Right. And so some of those schools like really don't have like some of these kids in some of these schools um, really don't even have that opportunity to begin with. Right. You know, an AP test, the first one is free, but they make you pay ten dollars right mm-hmm. for some odd fee but every test after that is ninety dollars so let's say you're a low income you know a low income student taking ap classes by some chance you found the academic route to be to be able to be successful you worked hard right but then again you don't have the money to be able to take the test how is that fair for that student it's not fair at all it's not equitable right mm-hmm. we work so hard to provide it you know an equal situation for students what we need to do is provide an equitable situation we you know and when i mention equitable right i say fair equitable i could i that's synonymous with the word fair mm-hmm. right so when you give I, I will admit states give funding to black schools and white schools equally but it shouldn't be equal if one community needs it more than the next right because one community is fighting to get to where the white community is where the white community is fighting to innovate. Well, then they call it like donations, because like I know Northview probably mm-hmm. gets a lot of donations, right? From a lot of the booster clubs. Oh yeah, things like that. Where because you know there's a lot of well-to-do families. Um, another point that I I bet this is even different between like Duluth High School and Northview. Right. Um, we take a PSAT for free. Right. At the school every year. Right. I don't. I haven't met a lot of schools that do that. Right. Because you usually have to pay for the PSAT, and that's why they have right. so high, like the SAT scores are so high, because right. all these kids get three tries before they right. go and take it right. for real. They have that chance to be able to mess up before they take the real thing. So I just don't think, I, I see a lot of schools doing that. Right, right. So moving on, next passage. He says, inferior jobs, inferior housing, inferior education, which in turn again leads to inferior jobs. We spend a lifetime in this vicious, vicious, excuse me, <laughs> circle, or in this vicious cycle, going in circles, giving birth to children who see no hope or future but to follow in our miserable footsteps. Right. Mm-hmm. So when you're a parent <clears throat> uh, who didn't go to college, and you're preaching so hard the benefits of college to your children because you want a better life for them, you're working your ass off, right, to provide your children. Um, good stable housing, food, and also provide for their college education, right? But then they see you, right, that you haven't gone to college. I feel like children, they follow actions better than words, right? Mm -hmm. So they see their parents in these positions, and they see they work hard and work their butt off. Some see that and be like, okay, I want a better life for not just myself, but for my parents. So they work, they go to that extra level. But some people see their parents and be like, okay, that's the standard for me too if it was the standard for my father and my mother. Working these waiter jobs or janitor jobs, right? They think that's their ceiling because that was their parents' ceiling, right? 
they think their parents won't be upset at them if they work the same job as their parents. So it's a cycle, right? You know, they, they don't work as hard in school because they feel like that as a black person, you're meant to do this and you're meant to do that. But really what it does is keep us in this position of, okay, well, now we're stuck because we're not fighting for these third, fourth, and fifth sector jobs. And it's not just we're not fighting for it, we're being kept in this position by having inequitable resources, inequitable distribution of resources, excuse me, right? So going back to it, it says, giving birth to children who see no hope or future but to follow in our miserable footsteps. That reminds me of seeing a black kid who wants better but literally can't attain it because of so many factors working against him in his own life. It's him or her, excuse me, in his or her life, right? When there's no example being set for you, you think that, you know, when there's no good, great example being set for you, you think the example that's being in front of you is the example that you should follow, right? Any thoughts on that? This is the next thoughts pretty, it's pretty damn. I mean, I, I, I can, I agree with that. Right, so moving on. The wealthy, now, he, he gets a little, you know, intense with his language, so just hold on. The wealthy, educated, black, black bourgeoisie, these uppity Negroes who do escape, never reach back and pull the rest of our people out with them. The black masses remain trapped in the slums, right? Mm-hmm. So before I answer that, what, what do you think about that passage from your point of view? When you see In that, terms of what I feel what like do, what do you think? What do you think he's trying to say? I mean, from, I mean, I feel like it's pretty straightforward. You know, the people right. who do make it, they don't give back to their communities. They don't raise up the people who were with them as they were growing up. They're not mm-hmm. improving their black communities. Mm-hmm. You know, they're worrying about themselves at that point. Right. Black, or excuse me, Zach, when you see uh, an African-American rapper mm-hmm. right on Instagram or social media, what do you really see on his page? What's the first thing you really see a lot? What does he flaunt? What does he... His know? money. His money. What else? <laughs> His what girls. What things else? like that, What man? else? Uh, Give me more. I need more. Jewelry, clothes. Right. Right. But nothing of substantial equity. Do you see any black men, black rappers, um, promoting donations they've sent or um, schools they've started or hospitals they started or grocery trains they started, right? They right. only flaunt things that you know signify their own success right they never want to bring that success down they don't want to trickle that down mm-hmm. right because for some reason actually i know the reason be having being a black man and having success in america is so difficult to attain that when you have it you almost don't even want to share it it was so hard to get you feel like if you give too much of it away you'll lose it all forever so it ends up staying in this same little bubble of African-American rappers, right, that all, all they want to do is flaunt their own money. Have you seen that interview with Young Thug, right? She asked, this white reporter actually asked, um, how do you feel about all the, the racial relations that's happening, the racial you know issues that are happening right now in the country, man? You know what he had to say about that? Mm. A lot of y'all favorites rapping. You know what he had to say about that, right? He said, well, I'm not worried about that. I leave all that to the politicians. You know, we just some young, rich N-words, you know what I'm saying? Looking to have some fun. We don't worry about all that. So you're not worried. He's like, no, no, we're not worried about all that. Right? And it's because he's telling the truth. They're not worried about all that. They're not worried about the people under them. They're worried about their own success because it was already difficult enough for them to attain it. Right? But when they say they support their hood, right, all they really do is recruit black people in their hood for a music video. Right? Or just 
pay them to be their goons or their security or something like that. They're not really investing in the welfare of their own black community, right? And there's a lot of issues with that, a lot of overt issues with that. If they're not going to help us out, the least we could do is help each other out, mm-hmm. right? I saw a picture of Jay-Z, Big Sean, Nas, P. Diddy, Dr. Dre, all these extremely wealthy black yeah. men. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Right? I think I've told you this a little bit before, right? Mm-hmm. In the picture, I think there was over several billion dollars oh, yeah. of net worth oh, in that yeah. one picture. Oh, yeah. Right? But in no form or fashion do you see any of these men, right, supporting black business in a way that doesn't support them. Right? Dr. Dre, I mean, that man's filthy rich off his deal from Beats. You don't really hear anything about anything he's been doing. Now, Jay-Z, I will admit, it's a little better, right? A lot of the stuff I heard, though, is about him doing stuff in Africa for African children. He's built water lines, and that's amazing, right? But what are you going to do about the people in the hood that you um, that you grew up in, that you came up from, right? You know how he got that NFL job, mm-hmm. right, saying that you know he was some sort of ambassador, and whatnot, what did he really do in that position? All he did was get Colin Kaepernick a meeting with a couple NFL, or a tryout with a couple NFL execs, right? That's all he can say he did. And I know being a black man in the NFL has got to be tough because you're being looked at as a show pony almost. But I, you know, moving on. <laughs> I go on that all day, right? But anyways, the black elite does not do nearly enough to mitigate the issues of communities that they left to reach their eventual success. They celebrate their success by splurging on themselves and their wealthy black um, um, friends and family. Counterparts. Yeah, right. This is evident due to the to their being next to zero schools, hospital, grocery store chains, and other necessities that could benefit the black community more effectively if they were initiated by wealthy black elites, right? I'm gonna touch on that a little later. After the 19, uh, excuse me, moving on. After the 1954 Supreme Court desegregation decision, the same thing happened when our people tried to integrate the schools. All the white students disappeared into the suburbs. Now the caliber of what our people thought was to be an integrated school has fallen to the same level of the slum from which we thought we had escaped, right? Just as efforts to integrate housing failed miserably, efforts to integrate schools have been even more miserable failure, right? So I, I know you have some statistics on that. Yeah, I do. Uh, I found a little article by uh, Richard Rothstein, um, but it's called Modern Segregation. Um, he's a part of the NC, uh, NAACP Legal Defense Fund. Uh, he's written a bunch of books on right. uh, segregation and things like that. And um, I recommend going to look at that. I will say that this article that he's written, I find it very... Um, relevant still but Mm. it was written in 2014 Mm -hmm. um so i just want to get that out there but um it kind of shows some of the trends like uh 90 percent of uh of minorities in the last 20 years um have been attending schools uh the the share of these black people 90 percent of them it's been increased um from 34 percent to about 40 percent so right what i mean by that is that schools that are 90% 90% or more black schools that are primarily black public right. schools they have been increasing so we're getting more segregated 
Right. Um, in the last 20 years, uh, they black students typically attended schools where 40 percent to 60 percent of their fellow students were low income. Right. So these are not high income areas. Right. In terms of like, you know, like Johns Creek is a very high income area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of these because of the areas and because these um, these are low income, because jobs are so important to just stay afloat. Right. A lot of these kids are having to move neighborhoods frequently. Right. And there's been studies that show that students get a lot more success in high school in terms of college preparation and job preparation when they stay at the same school. Ooh, that's deep. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So um, it's a very – I'd recommend going and looking at this uh, for each person to kind of go and look at it. It's a very nice study. He's written it really well. Um, It kind of talks about struggling students in cities and how the isolation – um, the typical black student attends a school where there's 2% students are white, 2%. Right. And 85% of, uh, the people who are going to these schools in these cities are low income. Right. So a city like Atlanta. Right. Where it's primarily black. So what I'm kind of getting from that is that these schools are being segregated because the communities around them are segregated. Yes. So there's these schools that have a lot less resources. Right. And uh, the, the surrounding areas um, are typically low income. Right. So their neighborhoods aren't good. It's a lot less money to live there. Right. So people um, of low incomes kind of flock in that area, primarily black in these cities, mm-hmm. um, because of obviously um, the white majority has been allowed uh, like a, a step forward in terms of right. like building their the you know the white america has been propelled off the blacks off the back of black people right and so then without proper reparations a lot of black communities find themselves kind of behind the ball right in terms of money so then they have lower income neighborhoods and because of that a lot of primarily black schools are then underfunded because they're not able to donate and Mm -hmm. so then the the you know schools get certain like allowances and things like that right where like um if you do certain things you get more funding and these ah, schools yeah. aren't able to do these things uh the, the surrounding neighborhoods like in john's creek i'm sure they get tons of booster money and things like that yeah, the, these inner city schools do not get right. that because like there's not scores. enough money yeah right. test scores are a real indicator of oh absolutely funding and everything right and so like you see it's just another way that segregation is very alive in, in modern day in terms of schooling and things like that. Right. And then it goes even as far as like neighborhood segregation mm-hmm. in terms of residential things like that. Right. Um, and then I don't know how much you know about it, but there's a thing called redlining that kind of happened uh, back in the 1930s. Please explain that. <clears throat> I will. Uh, <laughs> the federal home loan bank board and the uh, homeowners loan corporation conspired right. to create maps with marked areas considered bad risk for mortgages and Mm. that's what redlining is defined as these areas marked in red as hazardous were typically outlined typically outlined black neighborhoods this kind of mapping concentrated poverty as mostly black residents in redline neighborhoods had no access or only very expensive access to loans so then this is perpetuating like the, these people aren't able to secure loans to try right. to better themselves in their communities mm-hmm. because of this redlining. Right. And even go as far as like back in the 2008 recession, they came up with a, uh, a system of reverse redlining. 
which mm. extended credit on unfair terms with subprime loans and it created a higher rate of foreclosure in black neighborhoods during the housing crisis and right. the recession. Right. So it's like this big thing where like the system is constantly trying to segregate even in terms of economic status and trying to secure loans and things like that mm -hmm. so that you either can't secure the money that you want to or they let you secure the money, right. but they make it in a way so that eventually you have to foreclose on your right. homes and things and your, your properties and things like that. So if I'm hearing this right, this is essentially creating a pockets of black poverty. Basically, yes. it's creating ghettos. Absolutely. So it's all a cycle. What I'm seeing from this is, right, these banks, they're denying loans to black people. Which is a lot of evidence that they, you know, don't appropriate loans at an equitable. And the way that they say amount. is that they do it by, oh no, we're just this is a concentrated area of poverty, right. which is always almost mostly black areas, right. and they're doing it because it's you know we can't it's bad to um, it's a bad risk mm. to provide mortgages or to provide loans in this area. So the banks are just doing their job. Right. So it's a cycle, right? You deny Absolutely. a black person a loan. Mm -hmm. They can't move into a better neighborhood because they can't afford or they, they can't afford it based off their own salary. They need that loan, but they've been denied that, right? Once they're in this low-income community, right, they have to go to that school that feeds off kids from a low-income community. So a school can only gain students from its own community. There's no students traveling probably far to come to a low-income school. So it's a cycle. Mm -hmm. If you deny the parents funds and loans, they can't put their kids in better neighborhoods, which in turn puts their kids in better schools, right? Leaving their community seg highly segregated. Absolutely. Right? And a lot of what I noticed too is, right, you see a lot of black students going into white suburban schools and white suburban neighborhoods, but you don't see a lot of the reverse effect. Right. It's not vice versa. Mm -hmm. You don't see a lot of white people going into low-income communities, building up the community, going to those schools, making those schools better, right? Data shows that only about one in eight white students, which is about 12.9%, attends a school where a majority of students are black, Hispanic, Asian, or American Indian. In contrast, nearly seven in 10 black children, 69.2%, attend such schools proves integration has been failing because minority mainly blacks that have the means to leave their own will do so stripping that neighborhood of a potential class of educated minorities that could foster growth in their own neighborhood instead of a white suburban community right so when you remove all these black people from their own community right they're no longer serving their own community Right. You're working to make a white suburban school and their ranks that much better. Yep. And it's usually only the wealthy, educated people living in that community that are out, even have the resources to be able to move. If you can't leave the community, you can't leave that school, you have nowhere else to go, right? So you can only, when a school only has students that don't have the resources to become academically more successful, the school can be more successful. Here's the way I look at it, right? I'll give you a little analogy to make this more sense, right? You have a cup of red Kool-Aid mm -hmm. and you have a cup of blue Kool-Aid, right? Let's say the red Kool-Aid represents black people and below, excuse me, low income communities, okay. right? And the blue Kool-Aid cup represents higher income communities, mostly white communities, right? You pour some of the red Kool-Aid, right, into the, the blue Kool-Aid. What color do you get? Purple, this like purple. right? A little red and blue makes purple, yeah, yeah. right? That's your cup of integration, uh -huh. right? That's the illusion of integration, right? Because you see that obviously there's a mixed population of Kool Aid 
aka there's a mixed population of students in that cup, right? So when people reference, oh, we're not segregated, Brown Board versus Board of Education ended that, right? They're looking only at that one cup, that one community, right? But then you look at a low-income community, aka the red cup, you see it only has still red Kool-Aid in there. In fact, it has an even less amount of red Kool-Aid. You just stripped that cup of the full amount of Kool-Aid it could have. Now, that got a little convoluted. No, I understand. You understand and, and that. Talking about how the quote-unquote purple cup of Kool-Aid right. at that point, especially in terms of, like, I've seen it firsthand, is that the 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 low-income people who are brought into these areas mm-hmm. or even just, like, areas of integration where right. they're maybe not at necessarily low-income, but just right. in terms of areas of good integration, these types of communities have a lot of microaggressions. Mm that the black people in these communities have to deal with. Right. So it's even further is like at Northview, I've experienced a lot. um, The black people there tend to group together. Right. Because of all the the kind of like the little things, like the little bits of racism, all the the microaggressions that they experience. It's an out group. Right. So even these people who are integrating into these well-to-do areas, Mm -hmm. they're still, it's still segregated in a way. On a social level. On a social I mean. level, yes. So on every level of society, they're being seg- exactly. It doesn't matter where you go. You can't truly escape segregation, right, is basically what he's saying. So moving on, we still haven't even finished that, uh, that <laughs> speech, man. Having failed to get integrated housing and failed to get integrated schools, now the Negro leaders are demanding integrated jobs. That is, they are demanding a certain quota or percentage of white people's jobs, right? And this is powerful to me. It had me really thinking, right? When a racist, right, they, 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 they've just, they, they just gotten laid off, right? What is the first thing they complain about? Bad economy, right? Mm-hmm. Our jobs are being stolen. <laughs> yeah, Hispanic people, argue. Latinx people, black people, they're stealing our jobs. Mm-hmm. In fact, this was true back in the day when even populations like the Irish and Asian people, they would come in, right? Whenever a foreign group would come in, right? And they sensed that they were losing jobs to these people because they would be wor- willing to work for lower rates. They always blamed that group of people. But they were just really trying to make it in a society that didn't accept them truly, right? So what is the thing they say? They say, wow, our jobs are being stolen. So that got me thinking, why are we working so hard for the white man's jobs? Because in a way, we're taking their jobs because that's what integration is. When you add people into society, you also add that competition, too, for jobs. Right. That's what true integration is. Absolutely. Right. So that got me thinking, why do we fight so hard for white people's jobs? Why don't we create our own economy, our own economic success that could see us being separate, right? But a lot of people get caught up in the word segregated economy. It doesn't have, we don't have to be a segregated America to have our own black industries and our own black economy. Absolutely. We can be independent without being reliant because that's a lot what it is. You know, I talk about the, we talked about the white savior complex last week, mm-hmm. right? But there's also a reliance. It works both ways. You can't have a white savior if you don't have someone that needs to be saved by that white savior. Do you mind if I define that Go real ahead. quick? Go ahead. Because I don't feel like certain people understand. The white savior complex? Go well, ahead. I feel like some people, they get it mixed up in terms of like, I'm not a white savior. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because 
A white savior is a white person who provides help to non-white people in a self-serving manner. Right, right. So if you want to find, if you feel like you're a white savior, it's because, like, you know, a lot of people, they'll, they'll go to, like, poor to do areas. Right. And they'll do all those Instagram pictures, you mm. know, with all these kids um, from Africa or things like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, it's things like that. Where it's like, oh, now I feel better about myself. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. It's not about being a person and helping all people. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, the the black problems that we have in America right now, right. the fact that there's all this injustice, that is a people problem. And me as a person, I want to mm. be a part of the solution. Right. Now, the... the so that, that's a big part is that it's it's a self-serving man self-serving it's selfish it's mm-hmm. not for the other it's, it's for your own right personal so that you feel good about yourself, yourself. Uh-huh. and what you've done uh-huh. for the movement right so going on top of that right the white savior complex doesn't just speak to the white people that feel like they need to save mm-hmm. it also speaks to the black people that feel they need saving right. by this white community so when you think about it that's that's more subconscious than conscious a lot of people don't realize they do this Right. A lot of black people don't realize that they buy into this. So when you're a black person, right, and instead of going to the black owned corner store that could provide your basic needs, food, water, maybe some toiletries here and there, you go to the big Kroger, you go to the big Publix, right? You feed their industry instead of feeding your own. And what does this ultimately do? This ultimately lessens revenue going among black people, right? We can't retain the revenue. If we don't spend it among ourselves, if we don't get it in the first place. And the, the black people in the U.S. are the large, has the largest buying power. The largest. Right? <laughs> we'll buy everybody's products but our own. And when I say create black business, don't get confused with, and I'm, I'm not trying to call anybody out, but this is just how I see it. Don't get confused with creating a t-shirt company that says Melanin or Black Lives Matter, Right. And get confused with, oh, I'm supporting black business. Black business is way deeper than that. Creating, you know, creating revenue among the black sector and black economy is way deeper than that. Mm -hmm. Right. You have black electricians, black plumbers, black store owners. Right. All these black industries that aren't getting supported enough because they can't compete with a large, you know, middleman that has the resources and every product in the world that you might ever need. Right. So that black business can't grow. They can't have products that you might want because you keep supporting these large corporations that feed off of black people. Mm-hmm. Right. We don't do a good enough job of supporting or even creating jobs in our own neighborhoods. Right. We don't do a good enough job of teaching our kids entrepreneurship. And I feel like that speaks to a generational generational intelligence imbalance. Right. We were never equipped with the skills of being an entrepreneur. So it's hard to spread that mindset back down to your children. Right. It's hard to say that if you've never started a business and you have no experience in that, what are you supposed to teach your kids? Right. We as black people, we preach college so much because to us, and this is correct somewhat. Education is the way out. But college isn't the only way. You know, self-education is self-enlightenment. Self-enlightenment is freedom. That's true freedom. Right. Self-educating yourself gives you your own ability without being tampered with by a curriculum that won't doesn't support your interests in the way that you need to be supported, self-education allows you to start your own initiatives. It gives you the knowledge, the power to create your own entrepreneurship. So when I tell you it's possible, it's possible. We see more black businesses growing every day, mm-hmm. black investment groups, right? Yep. We see more black um, 
e-commerce stores. That's a big thing. And you don't have to be black to buy black. True. And you don't have to feel like like you can't get caught up in that white savior mentality right. in terms of when I go to buy black, I'm buying black because the black people in our society are a step behind. Right. You know, white people are given this elevated status from birth in right. terms of how you know the loans that they're allowed to get the schools that they, they're able to apply to the neighborhoods that they grow up in mm-hmm. it's it's an unfair advantage right and so you can you can support as a white person in many different ways without being a, the savior right it also has to be a conscious effort right i know you'll slip up everybody quote unquote says they need Publix and need kroger's but you have to make a conscious effort that per one you know major industry you buy you know, you support some small black business in a way, right? It has to be a conscious, okay, this is what I'm going to do to support, other than, okay, well, I see that sometimes, so I might, you know, it's got to be, a, you have to tell your self-discipline, you know, control yourself and be like, okay, this one needs to be done. I'm going to support this business in the way they need to be supported. But going back to segregation a little bit, right, because a lot of people don't realize the effect that segregated schools have other than obviously the fact that they can't get higher level jobs well also the fact that like when these lower income uh, these kids from lower income schooling systems um end up going to college they find themselves in 101 classes behind Uh the eight ball right they end up getting to these classes and realizing wait this is a 101 course Mm -hmm. and how how all these kids know all these things and how are we starting where we are if i've never even learned this right right and it's simply because other schooling systems are better right and that they're not equal. All high schools, all high schools are not equal. Right. A lot of people get confused with that. A lot of the curriculums are not the same, right? A lot of the the. the and it's not because the kids in certain areas are, are smarter, dumber, right, or smarter. That than makes else. no sense. I don't want to hear that. Yeah. Right. It's because the resources that are being put on them, they can only work with what they have. Mm-hmm. And when you have everything in the world, right, there's no excuse not to have academic success. Right. But when you're climbing just to reach that standard then it's going to be increasingly hard for you to reach the success that other people have seen with education, right? But going back to on a, on a more academic level, what segregation does, right? Mm-hmm. It depresses educational results for black students. Basically, it lowers their standardized test scores, right? Right. Because they don't have the resources, right, all the time to be able to study for this test in a quiet environment. Right. And there's so many other factors that play into academic. Well, I don't have the figure on me right now, but literally there right. is a very large correlation right to how much money your family makes mm-hmm. and how high your SAT scores are mm-hmm. and you know it's not it's but person by person is different but there's a very large correlation to how it is right in terms of if you're in a low income um, family right odds are you're gonna make a lower SAT score right it's just how it is right because it's not they're not equal schooling right and another large issue that affects that has a profound effect on academic scores is single parent homes, right? A lot of people don't realize the stress that children and older kids in high school, right? When you have siblings, you your responsibilities are stressed are, stre- are stretched out. Mm-hmm. You almost become another parent, mm-hmm. right? So when you don't have that second parent to fall back on, and you're worried about taking care and feeding your brothers and sisters, cooking dinner, cleaning up, cleaning the house while your mom or dad is away working, you can't focus much on your academic success. Right. I, I concur to that. I had a lot of that growing up. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> so it's not just for black communities. This affects all communities, too. Mm-hmm. But it affects, it affects black communities disproportionately. Right. It widens performance gaps between white and black students. Right. So when you segregate schools, the poor 
keep getting poor because they stay stuck in that cycle with their piss poor resources, subpar resources, right? While white schools already have the resources they need to be successful, they're worried about innovating. How can we get even higher? Right. So while the poor, then these low income communities are getting lower, their scores are getting lower, their incomes are getting lower, right? Their incomes are getting lower, right? This other community across the way, this white suburban community, they're focused on how can we innovate? How can we get better technology, better teachers, better resources so that our students can be better than they currently are? I right? agree. They want to raise they want to raise the bar, excuse me, right? And also it reflects and bolsters segregation by economic status with black students being more likely than white students to attend high poverty schools. Right. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. So basically what this all means is it means that the promise of integration and equal opportunities for all black students remains an ideal rather than a reality. So back in 1954, when Brown versus Board of Education was, you know, put into law, uh, put into um, was amazing, decreed a, yeah. a ruling by the Supreme Court. Right. Excuse yeah, me. Yeah, I got you. Right. Now I'm kind of seeing that it didn't do as much as we think. We think it automatically said, you know what, black and white students are equal, but that's not the case, and it's evident, right? Mm-hmm. So it just goes to show that, you know, just because you sign something law, it's how it's enforced. It's not just the law itself. If no one wants to enforce the law, right, then the effects of the law can't be seen. All right, and the law had a lot of good things. I, I personally, I'm, I'm with that. Right. And every every black person should be, be with that. But when it's not being enforced in a way, then the law is meaningless. It has no meaning. And in today's society, it has even less. It, it has about the same. It has even less meaning than it does back then. And that's kind of that's a sad reality that it's an idealistic, you know, almost a pipe dream. Right. That we see true integration rather than a reality. And that that's that very much disappoints me. Very much disappoints me. So, Zach, do you have any other final thoughts? No, I kind of touched on anything I want to touch on, especially since a lot of what I had studied for this week and right. what I was educating myself on was, <laughs> yeah. you know, the presidential <laughs> right. candidates. Actually, I have one more thought to add. Okay. Right? Yeah. And this is a quick one. This is a quick thought. Right. Although many students learn about the historical struggles to desegregate schools in the civil rights area era. Segregation as a current reality is largely absent from the curriculum. Uh, exactly. I definitely agree right. with that. So we think it's not a problem because we oh, think it's been done. solved yeah. in the past. Much like racism. Yeah. It's systemic oppression. It's the same it's the same things. It's all parallel to each other. Right? So in essence, we just wanted to bring the light that this is a conversation that we need to still keep having. Well, it's more than just people dying by police. It's right. more than just, you know, like right. racists who are very, like, out there showing that they're racist. There are right. a lot of subtle things. There's a lot of little things. Less in the overt things yes. that we don't see, as, you know, that we're oblivious to. Mm-hmm. Right? That need to be brought to light right. so that people can understand this is a way bigger problem uh-huh. than what it's being told in, the, like, the media. And we don't understand that it affects so much more. Education is truly it is freedom, mm-hmm. but the right type of education makes you even free, even more free than you realize. And people don't understand is that like society as a whole is is suffering mm-hmm. be, because of the lack of proper education right. to all our minorities. Right. 
there's so many people who probably could have changed the world in so many different ways, but they never reached their full potential because right. the schooling that they went to in the areas they grew up in right. were underfunded. Right. We're only as strong as our weakest link. As a nation. I wholeheartedly believe that. Mm-hmm. So if you're an American and you're protesting against and you're fighting hard against in a, in a integration in schools, in our neighborhoods, and you're a white person that doesn't want to live and, and work and build these low-income communities, then are you truly American? You just want to be comfortable in your own suburban home. Do you really want to make America better? We always, you know, a lot of these people out here, I, I, I can't name them by name, but they <laughs> love saying, let's make America great again. Yeah. This is a part of making America great again. Yes, I agree. I concur. All right. All right. I think that's it with what we've got for uh, segregation. I think this was a good little audible we've called here. I like the way it's 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 it turned, turned out. out. Do you want to talk about anything about how we did get planned, or do you just want to save that for another time? Uh, wait, what? Do you want to talk about any like the presidential stuff? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, actually, let's just talk about the Kanye part, and we'll yeah, leave the rest yeah, of it for right. another day. Yeah, but a lot of you know we were speaking on, and this this conversation lasted what thirty minutes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I didn't even realize it. Mean, we were just we were really going off on this man. Yeah. Right, but basically, Kanye West, presidential candidate. Presidential actually, candidate. I won't lie. I read something today that him being an actual presidential candidate was a, was like, I know this wasn't true. Sham? Yeah. Then what was the whole rally for? Yeah, so, like, that's what I, that's, again, I read it from one source, haven't backed it up All right, yet. We gotta, we I gotta, saw yeah, it yeah, earlier yeah. today when right. we were at lunch. Right. But he might not be. But if currently right now he, he is, is a presidential candidate, he is, right. we're going to continue to say don't vote for him, and don't here is it. why. Don't do it. Listen. Let's close our eyes real quick. Let's uh, let's 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 think about this America. Real quick. Let's imagine an America where Kanye West is president, right? A man with no political experience, a man who his only experience in business is designing, right, and producing music, good music at that, right? What do you see a man with no political experience actually doing for our country, right? We have an example: Donald J. Trump. Right. You see is the current state of race relations in our country right now. Right. You see what he's doing. What do you think Kanye West can truly achieve? Right. Do you see people having faith in his ability to lead? How is how has he shown he's a leader? So when you imagine this America, how do you see it improving? What do you see him actually doing? Now, he's done a lot of good things for black people in the past. He's done a lot of good things for people in the past. But what do you see America actually gaining from him being president? I just want you all to sit on that. Just. And then while you're sitting on that, let's think about Kim Kardashian West right. as our first lady. Oh, gosh. The lady who has multiple times culturally yeah. appropriated many black hairstyles in terms of box braids right. and what she called the Bo Derek braids, where she had those small. Uh, right. And for those of you guys who don't know Bo Derek, it was a white uh, actress who was in, I think it was a 1979 film, I forgot what it was called, right. but a white actress who was wearing cornrows, and then Kim Kardashian had the audacity to call them the Bo Derek braids. <coughs> like, they were her braids. Right. I feel like when we speak of First Lady, I would say First Lady's like, you know, Eleanor Roosevelt, you know, it's, it's, Michelle Obama. I right? totally forgot about this, but it's not it's not the lady who has a sex tape out. <laughs> Do you want your first lady to have a sex tape? Do you want me able to go see her nude? It's not a lady who is multiple times culturally appropriated. Um, it's our not black even that. people, right? Right. It's not it's, even as much as that. The sex tape part. It's more the fact that 
you know, you set an example by your actions. Right. She's cut a, she set a clear example about who she is by the actions she's done in the past. Right. She has a whole reality TV show based off drama. Does America really need more drama? Or do we really need? Do we really want to keep up with the White House? You know, what I'm I saying? don't. <laughs> I don't. You know what I'm saying, you know, but so this qu- little quick anecdote. Right. Don't vote for Kanye West, please. Like please I don't, don't care do who you vote for, but please don't. Vote. And, and I'm talking who, to the I'm right. talking to the people who voted for her on that man. one year, my <laughs> yeah. boy. He's looking at y'all down and from heaven. He's he's upset with y'all right now that y'all actually put him on your ballot. Please don't do that. He's mad, right? So we're we're talking to you. Don't waste your vote, <laughs> please. If don't. you're old enough to vote, if you're 18, please do your research, educate yourself. If you truly feel like Kanye West is, is the best the, candidate, please talk to us about it. Please let us know what you see because we're and not you can talk it. to us at obl.georgia uh-huh. on Instagram or you can personally email us at toughtalks2020 at gmail.com. Do that. Do that. But anyways, man, you know, I mean, the man said like Harriet Tubman didn't free slaves. Or slavery was a choice. He's Those are things he said. So if you're a black person considering to vote for Kanye West, we just ask you to do a double take. Really consider if this is what this is what you want. And that's it for me. All right, man. It was good talking to you. Great talk. Can't wait to see. Oh, next week, uh, we have episode five coming up, and Adam's got a pretty good treat for y'all. Uh, uh-huh. If you want to tell him a little about it, and then we right. can go and break out. Yep. Okay. Um, so next week is a very special edition of Tough Talks, right? We're having an all-black cast talking about a very special special topic that we will reveal later in the week. All right, so we want you all to tune in for that. It's going to be a very – no no disrespect to Zach. He's been doing the podcast. Great. I understand. We I love understand. With Zach. We love our allies, right? But we also need a space where black men can, you know, articulate their feelings and um, issues with the current state of America. We, you know, we want that – we want to give them that platform, too. Yep. This platform is not just for allies. It's also for black people as well. Yep. Right? And very soon – I don't want to give away too much, but we have a, a lot we of have a lot good, of things planned. We have a lot of things planned, right? So stay tuned for that, man. We and also, man, once again, we appreciate your support and everything, man. We just oh yeah, shout us out to your friends. You know, post our our podcast wherever you want to. Yeah, we've got out, a pretty good shout following. Out, I'm thinking, shout you guys. out, dude. Shout out, dude in Guatemala. Shout <laughs> out that dude. <laughs> we got one. Whoever that is. <laughs> if you're 60 and over, shout out you too, man. We look at we look at the analytics, man. We love you. All right, Adam, it's been good talking to you, dog. This has been a tough talk. Yes, sir.